In 2001, the Nobel Peace Prize was awarded to the United Nations and Kofi Annan, who served as that institution's seventh Secretary General. Annan was an advocate for the connection between literacy and peace, saying that acquiring literacy is an empowering process and that it has immense power to transform. About education and literacy, he wrote, quote, on its foundations rests the cornerstones of freedom, democracy, and sustainable human development, end quote. Of course, Secretary General Anand was speaking about literacy in a traditional sense, pretty much the way most people still think about it, the ability to read and write. Our guest on today's podcast suggests a broader application for the idea of literacy. She believes that food literacy is just as important as our focus on reading and writing and serves to provide the same transformative possibilities. Let's face it, there are very few absolute truths in the human experience, but here's one. Every person on the planet must eat. Because of this, food is at the center of a complex political, environmental, economic, and social web of interconnections. Because of this complexity, how many of us feel confident understanding the impacts of food choices on our health? on the environment, our economy, and as we see clearly during the pandemic on our global community, how can food literacy help and empower? Today, I talk with Courtney Bonzo about food literacy as an essential proficiency. Courtney's capstone is titled A Pediatric Food Literacy Primer, Empowering Families with a Sustainable Food Foundation. In addition to a comprehensive research project centered on food literacy and pedagogical approaches, Courtney created Lesson Plans, a hands-on primer. In it, she introduces families to the concept of thinking through a food system's lens. She's developed activities that focus on improving everyday food habits in a unique family-centered approach and through lessons that educate everyone while keeping children as stakeholders in the process of forming new relationships with food. I literally jumped on the school library and I got on Google Scholar and I just did a search of some of the key words that I thought pertained most to my area of interest. I wasn't sure exactly what I was searching for at this point, but I was having a sort of open exploration that helped me find all the other people who were also doing work that was comparable to mine. And it kind of got me excited about what I was trying to find, about what I was finding and that it actually had a name and that it was called food literacy. the capstone and I'm Lisa Trochia. Welcome to our second season of a new podcast that celebrates the possibility of a more just and sustainable food system. In each episode, you'll hear fresh new ideas from students who are finishing their Master of Science degrees in sustainable food systems at Prescott College. I talk with my guests about their final capstone projects, and we also hear from their advisors, leading practitioners, advocates, academics, and thought leaders about the significance of the capstone topic, especially in the context of creating food systems change. Thanks for tuning in. My guest today on the capstone is Courtney Bonzo. Courtney was actually my academic advisee for this project. 
Lloyd Sharp was the second reader on the project, and we'll talk with her later in the podcast. Lloyd is an associate faculty member at Prescott College in the Master of Arts program in Education and the Master of Education program. Courtney is a native of rural upstate New York, but has called many places home over the years, Southern California, Pennsylvania, and most recently, Northeast Ohio. She's been married to her husband, Dane, for 15 years and is a full-time mother of four children. Caden, 14, Piper, 11, William, 8, and Crew, 5. Courtney's undergraduate work in child and family studies combines with her experience as a parent, providing a solid background for her capstone project, which focuses on family-based learning approaches. Courtney's personal interests include learning new cooking techniques, home gardening, self-reliance, as well as exploring primitive campsites with her family. Courtney is about to embark upon another opportunity for exploration with an upcoming relocation to Fairbanks, Alaska. She tells me she's excited about the new prospects and opportunities and looking forward to applying herself to her life goals of embedding herself within a food shed and contributing to the necessary work of creating a more just and sustainable food system. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So glad to be here. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Um, it's so great to have you on the podcast and to be able to share with folks your wonderful capstone project. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, absolutely. So um, let me pick up on something I just said. You're moving to Alaska. That's a pretty big deal. It's another bioregion you can learn something about. Yes, it's absolutely true. We are moving to Alaska. Kind of came as a surprise, but we're really excited <laughs> to get going. Oh, that's really, that's really neat. Um, I'm sure the kids are excited as well. That's a really big move. But I know at the moment, you and I both live in Ohio, but we are in very distinctively different bioregions. Um, I like to give all the guests on the podcast an opportunity to talk about where they live on the top of the interview. So folks listening get a sense of how you understand your life place and really more specifically how bioregional theories and opportunities to cultivate that kind of an awareness have influenced how you understand food and food systems. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it's really true, Lisa. We do live in the same state and also very different bioregions. One of the interesting aspects of describing places bioregionally is that it uses the natural features as descriptors instead of the man-made territories. Some might use watersheds as descriptors or even distinct terrains such as soil characteristics. Any natural feature really that makes your region unique. And at the start of the program, students are given the opportunity to study bioregional theory. And this is where I was able to study what made my region unique to me. So as you said, I live in the northeastern part of Ohio, just outside of Cleveland, whereas where you are, you're quite a bit more south from me. Right. Yeah, my region is relatively urban. However, agricultural production is still very much present here. We tend to see the industrialized principal crops of soybeans, corn, hay, and wheat, really all the raw products that are used for animal feed as well as many small farms and even micro farms that I see popping up in really interesting places like vacant lots. And beyond this production aspect, we also have a distinct natural feature known as the Cuyahoga River. And this is the river that is known to run through the city of Cleveland and it separates the east and the west sides and feeds back into Lake Erie. Some might remember this as the lake that also caught fire. Um, <laughs> it has that reputation. <laughs> 
Um, that's because of industrial pollution, if you, if you hadn't heard about that. And most yeah. famously, in 1969, that caught fire. There's even a beer named after this event called the Burning River Pale Ale, put out by the Great Lakes Brewing Company. <laughs> but things have improved there quite a bit, as I <laughs> yes. understand. Yeah, yes, for sure. That's great. Um, because of this very iconic feature, I refer to my region as the Cuyahoga Bioregion. I think this is a good descriptor because it gives mention to the first inhabitants, the Native Americans, and also the crooked structure of the river itself that inspired them to give it that name. And also because it gives notice to our watershed here, which is an extremely important and necessary natural resource that we highly value. And lastly, because in many ways, the Cuyahoga River links the upper snow belt of the Allegheny Plateau with the Low Lake Plain to incorporate our whole region. Since I was relatively new to Cleveland when I started the Masters in Sustainable Food Systems journey, my bioregional perspective has changed quite a bit. It's gone from a much more zoomed out perspective to a more intimate area where I can see how other regions are distinctly different from mine. And I think it's quite interesting to consider that how the natural features that set all of our bioregions apart. Yeah, that's one asset, I think, of being in this program where you are studying with students that are located in many different areas with um, many different uh, bioregional aspects. So you get that comparison and that contrast. But, you know, you also sort of, as you say, sort of begin to narrow down and really get a sense for where it is you live. And then maybe um, in your case and in many others, you start to think about ways that um, you can apply what you're learning to the area where you're living. So um, that's, those are great, great, great answers <laughs> to that first question. And I think it gives folks a really good idea um, of where you are and how you've come to understand that. So um, thank right. you. So let's get on to your capstone. The title of your capstone is a pediatric food literacy primer, empowering families with a sustainable food foundation. I just absolutely love that you have centered um, this, you know, designed this around family-based learning. As I shared in your introduction, you're a mom, you have four young kids. So let's talk a little bit about that connection between your academic experience and then what you've learned as a parent and your interest in exploring food literacy as your capstone project. Yeah, thanks so much, Lisa. You have that absolutely right. I am a mom of four little ones who definitely have had a great influence on this work. My oldest is starting high school next year and my baby recently went off to kindergarten. So it's been a lot of changing, changing times for us over here. <laughs> yeah, I guess. As a mom, I feel like I have always felt the innate desire to help my babies grow into the most healthy and informed citizens that I can. And for some reason, this seems to be continually returning me to the vital role that food plays in this. And mm -hmm. my formal education and my life experiences both have made me realize that we are living in a uniquely changed and I think quite challenging food environment. Over the past two centuries, the food system has undergone many radical changes from producer consolidation to the steady ramp up of food processing. And it's making it difficult, especially for our children. And I mean, even for us parents, for that matter, for this yeah. project, I want to capture some of those resources that can be most helpful to families who like me want to more positively engage and connect with food. And this is where it all really began. I literally jumped on the school library and I got on Google Scholar and I just did a search of some of the key words that I thought pertained most to my area of interest. I wasn't sure exactly what I was searching for at this point, but I was having a sort of open exploration 
that helped me find all the other people who were also doing work that was comparable to mine. And it kind of got me excited about what I was trying to find, about what I was finding and that it actually had a name and that it was called food literacy. Wow, great. Well, that's a perfect segue because I really want to ask you about that term. We'll talk a little bit more specifically about it. As I understand it, um, the way food literacy is framed, it involves or it addresses several different elements. So what can you tell us about it? Yeah, that's why I was so interested in this work. Food literacy really does address several important elements. And at face value, it makes sense that increasing nutrition is a strong benefit of food literacy. As a parent, this was like one of the most um, impactful and powerful points that I got out of this. This is the aspect that many food and nutrition education programs also place their focus on. Beyond this more obvious benefit though, there are also a few other that I thought I would mention. One of the overarching themes of food literacy is food systems. And this theme is in reference to an understanding of the broader food system, that is how food is produced and all the steps and people that it goes through before it becomes the food you buy at the store mm-hmm. and eventually you eat. And it's kind of a zoomed out way of thinking. It's not something that came naturally to me, but it can be quite entertaining to try and think back to all that happened to a food product before it became the food that you consumed. When I started to think like this, I realized that some of the foods that I ate had long processes before it got to me and others were quite the opposite and were, were quite short. And this kind of thinking shifted my perspective and how I was engaging with food systems. And I think that the systems aspect of food literacy is critical and has the potential to support and empower others with how they engage with food and the food system too, including supporting markets or producers that increase food security and fostering connection that brings community to get communities together. One of the most impactful statements I read while doing my research was this one by Joyce Slater. They said that in reference to food literacy that It's more than exhorting people to eat fruits and vegetables, a message most can recite as the proxy for healthy eating. We teach students about sex, how to drive safely, and obscure mathematical principles precious few will ever use, but everyone eats. To deny them this is akin to throwing them in the deep end of the pool without swimming lessons. This quote, and honestly, the whole article by Joyce Slater is where my passion for food literacy really took off. That's awesome. I love that quote. And, you know, um, we are recording this at the time when most people are sheltering in place and dealing with the um, the COVID virus. And um, this whole idea of food systems is really coming forward now. People are starting to get it. They understand that, um, you know, with pending closures to um, uh, meat producing facilities and um, issues with farm workers, that it's all connected. So um, I love that that's at the center of how you consider food literacy and how you have incorporated all of this into your, um, into your primer. So, you know, what you have created, you're calling a primer and you have titled it Food Rhythms for Families. Um, and it's what, six lessons, six, a six lesson series? Yep. So you have activities that engage families around this whole topic of food and food systems. So I do want to talk more about these activities, but um, at first, before I do that, I'm kind of curious how you prepared yourself to write this. So I'm sure you had to do some research to prepare for actually doing the the lesson plans. So so how'd you how'd you go about that? It truly has been an interesting process, and my navigation hasn't been linear. When I wrote the capstone proposal, my thoughts were not what showed up on the capstone paper. 
So it's been interesting to see how my perspective has changed and evolved throughout. I would say that the literature view most shaped and shifted this project. When I first started to decipher the concept of food literacy, I would have mentioned and really focused on the skills and the knowledge portion, but I realized in the research and the definitions that were being presented by scholars that it really incorporated a lot more. One of the studies that I referenced heavily in my capstone found that there are actually six interconnected themes that describe food literacy, wow. which do include food knowledge and skills, but also revealed many other important themes that are just as important, which food systems, which is one that you just mentioned. Also, there's food and health choices, emotion, and culture. And identifying these components was really the first part of forming the lesson plans that I was going to write later. Part of the literature review, I also looked for other food literacy programs that were out there, just trying to study anything that they had to offer. There were so many interesting ones, all with unique approaches and focusing on different aspects of food literacy. I noticed that not all of them incorporated all the six interconnected themes. For instance, I looked at a children's taste of African heritage, which was a plant-based curriculum, and I found it online. It was designed to educate kids about the African diet pyramid. I really had no idea that these kinds of resources even existed. And there were ones that were uh, covering after school programs that tackled food literacy from their own unique perspectives. And if you're interested, there's more examples of these kinds of food literacy projects in my literature review, my capstone. Honestly, collecting all this information was a little overwhelming for me. I, I spent a lot of many days, even stalled a bit, as you might know as my advisor, on trying to <laughs> accomplish all this. Well, it is overwhelming. You know, I mean, I think that's part of coming out of a program that does encourage you to have this really wide, this broad sort of systems-based um, reference for how you look at things. Uh, and then you're confronted with coming, with honing that down to something very specific. <laughs> yeah. So you see all the connections, you see all the research, and that's part of the challenge in the process, which you, which you really handled very well, because um, you not only identified all of these different programs and these resources, but, you know, you came up with sort of your own little niche, which was, you know, incorporating this to be sort of a family-centered type of an educational methodology, which I think is really, yeah. really awesome. So walk us through one of your lesson plans and, and tell us, like, for example, how long would it take for families to do something like this and what sort of things, you know, are involved? Yeah, so the lesson plans were um, designed to uh, focus on families and family dynamics. And I really wanted to focus on this because my undergraduate work had uh, focused strongly on supporting and strengthening family dynamics. And so in these lesson plans, you'll find lessons that establish familial place in the food system, identifying different levels of food processing, and looking at some of the everyday practicalities of food that might be overlooked, such in food preparation, like creating a family meal plan. So along the way, I was having some chats with some other people who had similar interests in mine, and I was trying to find a place where my project fit in, and I found that the healthcare setting was particularly interested in food literacy, and that they were focusing on the health outcome, the preventative health benefits, like combating obesity, hypertension, diabetes, and they shared with me that nutrition was particularly alarming in the pediatric population, especially with all the early onset of diseases in childhood, and that they were effectively managing some of this 
with their nutrition literacy. And they were piloting things called shared medical appointments and teaching kitchens where patients were getting a real hands-on experience with food. And it thoroughly piqued my interest. And that's when I began to understand that these kinds of interventions were really similar to what I was wanting to do, but they were not quite the same. And it's where I started to differentiate what my project would and how my lesson plans would be different than what the healthcare setting was focused on. Mm-hmm. What they were really focusing on was like a nutrition-focused literacy, and mine was slightly different because it was food literacy. So what I wanted to do was identify the gaps between these two, between what nutrition-focused literacies were doing, and try to hone in on those gaps and find ways to create solutions to fill those gaps. Well, that's awesome that you've already had some conversations with healthcare providers and sort of have figured out, um, you know, what they're doing and how what you are interested in doing um, with introducing your primer, um, how that sort of can complement um, what's out there and what's being done. What would you like to see as next steps? Is there an, is there an obvious way to sort of integrate these two things? Um, or, you know, like, how do you just see the primer, the primer being used most effectively and most broadly? Yeah, that's a great question, Lisa. I really was so excited to have these conversations with healthcare, in the healthcare setting and hearing that other people were interested and who saw the value in incorporating a more broad focus on food literacy. And as part of trying to get this project off the ground and the whole idea, I applied as a partner on a caregiver catalyst grant, which was an opportunity to get funding for innovative ideas that positively impact the health and wellness of the community and patients in the community. And I was really excited that we did make it through the first round in that. But as you mentioned earlier, we just found out that we're moving and it's a quite a big move. And so I can't partner with the program that I was, but I was so excited that I was seeing such a big corporation see the value in this kind of a project. So my next steps moving forward, since I will be moving, is that I'm going to pass on engaging this current partner. But I think that the experiences, like you mentioned, just having the conversations Um, will give me the extra tools to find another partner in my new bioregion. And I think that there is opportunities really to use this in a different setting, maybe online, which I think as we're seeing right now with all that's going on, I think online platforms are really helpful. I know all my kids are home right now and are using online platforms. So we're making this a family toolkit that could somehow be more available online and implemented in a home setting, I think would be interesting. I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of opportunities really come from the completion of this project. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. The the turn to more online focused activities is really opening up the potential for some um, some of these educational um, programs that we haven't thought of doing that way before. So yeah, I think that's great. Um, and you know, you can always leverage having gotten through that first stage with um, the the initial grant that you um, applied for, and uh, you know, use that. Say, hey, <laughs> we got that. Yeah, absolutely. Day. Liked it, you know. (laughs) So that's great. Well, I want to shift gears here a bit and talk about your experience in the MSFS program. So um, you're getting near to the completion of your master's degree, and and I guess it's 
probably kind of a natural time to reflect. I know you started initially at Green Mountain College and then you migrated to Prescott. So looking back, what can you share about the experience of being in the program? Yes, it's true. I did start out at Green Mountain and it was kind of surprising when we found out that Green Mountain would be closing and I was so grateful to Prescott though, because they were very interested in helping us transition and make adjustments. And I think that it was smoother than I could have anticipated it going. So thank you, Lisa, for transitioning with me. Yes, you you got to come with me from Green Mountain. And I'm very grateful for Prescott too, for giving me the opportunity to be able to work with Lloyd Sharp, one of my other lovely advisors. And the support from the advisors and the many program teachers is truly a superior group of individuals and I'm their guidance was necessary and is what brought this project to completion. Yeah, it was a, a, an incredible transition um, to the credit of both institutions working together. It, it really, um, and it's good to hear that the student's experience, at least from your perspective, was a good one. So that's what we like to hear. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, you're moving to Alaska. You may be looking to um, to pick up where you left off in terms of getting this primer in the hands of folks who could begin to implement that. Um, what else? What are next steps for you and your family after getting this degree in hand? Yeah, I love this question. I I do feel like I don't have a great answer for it right now. <laughs> this this degree was. Um, mostly an exploration of passion for me. I didn't really have a specific end goal other than to follow an interest of mine, which was sustainable food systems. And I wanted to follow through and I wanted to finish it, even though it's taken me a little longer than the normal timeline. And I'm in a time in my life where my kids are, as I mentioned, getting older and they're gaining their independence. And my interest in exploring something more has become more of a reality and I'm really interested and excited to see where Alaska food scene is and I can see myself fitting in wherever the kids, the pediatric population that I wrote this curriculum for are. I hope that I can. Well, I hope you can too, Courtney. (laughs) So as I told folks at the top of the podcast and as we were just talking about, I was your primary advisor on the project and I really enjoyed working with you so very much. Um, But I know you've received some great advice and support from Lloyd Sharp, who was your second reader. And I'd like to introduce her at this point so the three of us can talk a little bit. So Lloyd holds a Bachelor of Arts degree, having graduated with distinction from the University of Arizona as an extended English major majoring in secondary education. She also holds a Master of Arts degree in teaching and teaching education from the University of Arizona. Since 2004, at Prescott College, Lloyd has served as an education mentor in the Limited Residency Undergraduate Program, a graduate mentor and core faculty in the Master of Arts Program, and core faculty in the Master of Arts Program in Education and the Master of Education Program. In addition, she has an active private business that offers tutoring, editing, and writing workshops for graduate and undergraduate academic writers. Welcome to the podcast, Lloyd. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. It's a delight to be here. Oh, we're so glad you could join us. So, you know, I've been asking all of the questions up to this point, so I'd really love to hear your thoughts about Courtney's Capstone Project. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, Courtney, I'm so interested in your vision of what you can imagine things might be like if your primer were put into action and you had a, a a group of people who worked their way all the way through the primer 
what might be a sequel to that primer in a perfect world? Hi, Lloyd. You're right. Because I have designed this work as a primer, it does leave potential to create another installment, which is really exciting. While my hope is that families will be in many ways inspired to get more involved with their food just after the initial primer, I think that a sequel could certainly be a feasible next step. If I were to work on this, I probably would take the six food literacy components that I talked about earlier and take them back to the drawing board and more closely hone in on what the research identifies as the everyday components of food literacy. That was something that I'd only uh, tapped in more minimally. And if I did this, then I could more theoretically see which ones really needed emphasis. Like specifically thinking about lesson plan three, where the title of it is Yielding to Simple, which is a lesson plan that focuses on simplicity. I talk about simplicity in the kitchen, simplicity in the ingredients, simplicity in my cooking plans. And I think there are certainly other applications for simple that could be applied, like simple kitchen tools that are necessary, or taking some of the worksheets, such as the family goal setting worksheet, and creating a more interactive tool and just making those more crisp. Thank you, Courtney. I love those ideas. I'm a, a big fan of simplicity and and tend to think about how difficult it is to simplify, which is such a such a, an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other uh, the other area that I'm so interested in, you you discussed at some length in your capstone, the the distance that food has to travel before we consume it, which made me wonder uh, if you had envisioned any sort of partnerships developing with community-based agriculture. Yes. And, and how those CSA organizations might help inform what you're trying to do and supply to families what they need. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is um, very fitting that you mentioned this, actually. Um, I didn't get to mention to you before, but as part of the Caregiver Catalyst Grant, which I talked about that I applied for earlier, it was kind of a complicated situation, one of which was that we were trying to get funding to provide CSA, which is a community-supported agriculture, as you mentioned, a CSA share, to the students that were actually going to be enrolled in the food literacy SMA. Uh, part of the SMA that is already established is a food kitchen, and they do, they do actual practical kitchen teaching. And if we were to get the CSA shares, then we could make this a more immersive experience and kind of just expand upon what was already happening. And which reminds me that Fresh Fork Market, which is the CSA that we were hoping to share with, they are a mega CSA in the, the area and they're available all year round, which if you have been part of a CSA before you, and if it has a harsh winter, you know that if it's year round, that's definitely saying something about that CSA. And they also partner with over 200 farms regionally, and they have very diverse options than any CSA I've ever experienced. And I think similarly to what you were thinking, my thoughts were that if students were provided with a CSA share as part of a food literacy education, then they would be provided a great opportunity to be exposed to fresh local foods. And I think it's one of the ways that, the most practical ways that it would tie all of my primers content together and it would tie the experience of all the students together because they'd be using the same food resources throughout the week. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's, I love that. 
I agree. I think it sounds just almost ideal. And uh, thank you so much for that. I'm, I was very interested because I, I'm married into a ranching family. And so we provided grass-fed beef. And since we've left that culture, which is in the southern part of Arizona in a, in a um, grass land valley, we have neighbors who are still producing uh, grass-fed beef and selling it at local farmers markets. And those kinds of things offer such a wonderful opportunity for education for families as they come by in the farmer's markets and learn about the origins of the food. So thank you for that. I was very interested in your take on that, Courtney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I, I agree. I just wanted to jump in because it just it sort of brings up that whole issue of connection and, um, you know, how valuable that is. And, um, you know, thinking about your next steps, as you were saying about sort of this, this, deeper interactive element. And you talked about the online possibilities as well. So I'm thinking about when you're in Alaska, how that might be developed, um, either in the form of a webinar or in ways to check in with people who have gone through um, the lesson plans or just sort of ways to have those groups of people interact and share experiences and knowledge with each other. It opens up some really interesting possibilities. <laughs> yeah, I really love that. Well, I want to thank everyone, uh, our guests, Courtney Bonzo and Lloyd Sharp. Courtney, it's been an absolute pleasure to work with you on this project. You have created a wonderful resource that in its family-friendly form is actually really doing some heavy systems-based lifting in terms of educating and empowering multiple generations. So congratulations on your upcoming graduation from uh, Prescott in the master's degree program sustainable food systems and on completing your capstone thank you so much thanks and, for having me oh you're very welcome and Lloyd thank you so very much for making the time to join us today it's been a pleasure having you on the show thank you delightful to be here podcast is a project of the Master of Science in Sustainable Food Systems program at Prescott College, which supports the strengthening of communities and their members by helping people rebuild healthy, just, and sustainable food systems. In today's world of complex food, nutrition, and agricultural systems, this program creates leaders with a deep knowledge of the economic, ecological, and social forces driving food systems from local to global scales. As a limited residency program, students engage with one another and a distinguished and diverse faculty to build skills and knowledge that are applied in a personal and bioregional context. Currently, the program offers optional concentrations in sustainable diets and biodiversity, food justice, and food entrepreneurship. For more information, contact prescott.edu. You've been listening to The Capstone, a new podcast celebrating the creation of a more just and sustainable food system. The Capstone is produced by Prescott College. Audio production by Greg Browning and original theme music by Chris Ridgway. I'm your host, Lisa Trochia. Please join us next time.